Um, I'd like to welcome you here to the first installment of Crime at the Family Table. Um, my name is Latanya, and I am joined here today by my close friend and co-host, Alyssa. Alyssa, say hey. Hey. <laughs> um, and today we are talking about the um, current crime of uh, Jelani Day. Um, which happened this um, in 2021 in August, um, and it's still an open case. And yeah, so we plan to get on to that today, the breakdowns and the intersections of that into our perspective backgrounds, and as well as giving updates, uh, timelines, and anything of that nature, and also kind of open the discussion to you guys coming to the family table and presenting what you have in mind, um, theories, thoughts, and yeah. And also just so everybody knows, we like to keep theories to a minimum, just because it has to be respectful to the family that we are discussing, because these are people and not just numbers. Uh, yeah. So I just want to give a quick disclaimer. The opinions said in this podcast are solely our own. We are not affiliated with any organizations or institutions. We are speaking specifically from personal, professional, and educational backgrounds. So you'll hear a lot of allegedly's or I feels, just so you're aware and so that we are clear. So you'll hear a lot of allegedly's or I feels, just so we're clear what is fact and what is opinion. And warning, today's case will include uh, things like death, reported suicide, if this is concerning to you, please take care of yourself and your mental health. We will have other episodes that uh, may be of interest to you that may be a little less triggering. Let's get into the show. All right. So, all right. So I did the research today on the Jelani Day case. We both respectively did uh, different points of research, but this was my main case and that's how we kind of are doing this. So each week you guys are going to hear from both of us more than the other, um, but we wanted to create an atmosphere where it was like a discussion um, that we are talking about something like these people, we kind of know them. Um, we want to come from the point of the victim or victims. Um, just so we can humanize um, what is going on, bring it to a human level and break it down to the point where you feel connected to the case and this case matters to you. Um, just know that today we are talking about Jelani Day, a 25-year-old um, graduate student from Illinois State University who tragically lost his life um, in August of 2021. Um, Jelani, uh, was born in July of 1996 to his mother, um, Carmen Bolden Day. He is one of five siblings. He is the second youngest and he has two brothers and two sisters. And from all accounts, I can honestly say that this is a very close-knit family. Um, on August 23rd, um, his family last spoke to him. His mother at the time actually thought she had spoken to him on August 24th. Um, but because she had talked to him for so long, and you know how that can happen. You can be on the phone with somebody and you're thinking to yourself like, oh, like I must've talked to them two days in a row because we don't usually talk that long, especially when the person's at college. Cause I know for myself, when I was um, in school, I was talking to my mom maybe 10 minutes and then we mm -hmm. hang up and we talk every day. Um, 
and I'm sure you can like align with that list of like when you're in school you're kind of just especially that first week because this is like his first week of school really and he, his master's program so you know what that feels like of you're going in you're just like you're figuring yourself out but you want to keep that connection with your family so you're kind of keeping it simple because right. I didn't realize he was in okay he's in grad school at this yeah. point yeah so he's in his so he's in his master's program at this time so like so he's studying speech pathology so um you have to really get a doctorate in that for it to really pan out financially for yourself Mm. um because that's just one of those degree types that you need to go above get some experience a little bit but then go back to school to get your doctorate to be a speech pathologist um fun fact Speech pathology was my second choice in a major, but I chose psychology. Honestly, uh, yeah, and so psychology was my first, but I decided to do criminal justice because it was literally the hardest thing I ever heard of. <laughs> and speech pathology, they didn't offer that in my school because um, at the time, um, we had a department of hearing, um, deaf and hard of hearing, and that department was kind of being grandfathered. So a lot of people that were in that major group kind of, and so I definitely commend him on going back to his master's because from what his um, timeline of education was, he went to um, Alabama, uh, I'm sorry. He went to, I want to get this correct, Alabama Agricultural and Mechanical University and graduated top of his class in 2018. And so he waited a few years before starting his master's degree and due to COVID, which kind of slowed down that process, as we all know. Mm-hmm. The, the Panini Press. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, really kind of just slowed him down an extra year. So he started in um, 2021. And at the time, so uh, you see pictures of him in his lab coat and you really get the sense that he is ready to start this new journey and he's ready to begin anew and kind of take the bull by the horns. Um, Really there's nothing more that we can really learn about Jelani because it's pretty just certain that his family has a really close relationship like I said that his mother talks to him every day um and that not hearing from him would be strange so when we get into what we're talking about let's Let's start with saying that, um, so on August 23rd uh, is the last time Jelani's mother has heard from him. Um, And then on August 24th is the infamous video types that I'm sure many of you have seen, where we see Jelani at his campus in a button up shirt, some slats and some nice dress shoes because he's in there to meet with his um, professor. Um, But we do see Jelani leaving this building um, and apparently he never went to go see his professor. His professor actually said that they never even met um, up. And on August 25th, um, you, he was supposed to go to the class with that said professor. He never made it. So by August um, 26th, his mother got uh, the police over to her house to say like, hey, your son has missing. The school has reported him missing. Um, and we want to know if you have heard from him. And his mom was just not sure, like, hey, when was the last time I heard from him? Because she thought she's talked to him on the 24th because they're ju- they talk every day. 
Um, but really it was because they had had a long conversation on the 23rd, nothing seemed wrong, everything seemed okay. And then this break happens. Then we find out that there is another video of Jelani. Um, this video is of him at a meat dispensary um, in the local area of Bloomington, which is um, Illinois State University is located. Um, and he's going to the dispensary and he is looking on cameras. Uh, you see him in a, in a different outfit at this time in uh, a Jimi Hendrix t-shirt, a blue hat, um, some shorts and some sneakers. Um, he seems really calm, he's by himself. Um, and a lot of people I know have speculated like, why is he looking into the camera? It looks like a cry for help. Well, folks, like I honestly want to dismay any conversations about that because I have been to a dispensary um, in Las Vegas myself and a part of protocol for the weed dispensary is that you look into the camera just to prevent theft and stealing and you look into it for a certain amount so they can get your features, what you're wearing and things like that. Um, and just to make sure theft and anything like that, this just doesn't happen. Um, so we do see Jelani leave here and get to his car. And at that point, that is the last time Jelani is um, seen alive. Mm. All right, so at this point, yeah, it's, it's, what, what would make you think that people think that that's, the tape is weird? Because when I saw it, I just definitely didn't think anything of it. And I guess because I had the experience of being a dispensary. Um, what makes people think like in that video that something is strange to you? I saw that video and I was also like, why does he, like, why does he keep looking in the camera? But then again, Every time I'm at Target, I'm looking in the camera to see how I look that day. So in my mind, I was like, maybe he's just trying to do a fit check. Like maybe right, right. Like, just see like make sure he puts together how good he looks on camera. But once right. you explained it, because you've been to a dispensary before, I've never been yet. Like it, that makes perfect sense to get like his physical features, to get some identification in case anything goes wrong. They have it all on camera. I personally was thinking like, oh my God, maybe he's asking for help. Like maybe somebody made him change his clothes and right. he's in there with them. I don't know. But then again, if somebody had like kidnapped him or was holding him against his will for a time, why would they go to a dispensary? Like, why would they let him just hang out in the dispensary? So after you explained it about your experience in Vegas, I was like, okay. Right. Um, yeah, like it's kind of one of those things where I actually felt a little more strongly at looking at the videotape of him leaving campus. So leaving the building. So he's in like a building um, at Illinois State University that is kind of like it has the little stand like, you know, like where you find little foods at like maybe coffee shop and stuff like that because he's, he's there early in the morning. And he's meant to meet his professor in the morning, like, you know, and he's dressed for the occasion. So like, clearly, like he's dressed to be seen by a professor. But then when you see him again, and it's some a few hours later, and he's not wearing those same clothes, and he's a little more comfortable and less. Anyone who sees this video and that video would say like, okay, so he left his meeting, but he never went. So the wonder for me is, what made him leave campus and not meet with this professor? And then he didn't tell the professor that, oh, something came up and I won't be able to come. 
it just seemed a little strange. And I put that in my notes that it seemed strange that he didn't respond to his professor and say, hey, like, I'm not going to be able to make it today. Something came up, something important, maybe at my apartment or something, um, which people would do, especially if you're new in your master's program, you know how important these professors are to your career. You want to make a good impression because they're the people that, bless you, give you recommendations <laughs> for your career, your career outside of school so you don't want it to be like where you're leaving meetings and not coming and no call no show right um so all right so I'm so sorry I want to um also correct myself on August 24th he's reported missing um and then on August 26th this is when we find that Jelani's um Oh, so sorry. On August 24th was his last time he was seen. August 25th is when he was reported missing. Um, and then on August 26th, we have a sighting of Jelani's car. Jelani's car is then found in Peru, Illinois, which is six miles north of Bloomington. Um, Bloomington. Part about this car is that there's no license plate on the car. And the minute I heard that, I was just like, I have a question. The timeline between him missing or the last time he was seen and him being reported missing by the school, how many days was that? Literally one day. So it was the same day that he didn't come to school. So he was supposed to meet with a professor on the 24th. And he didn't come. Class was the next day with said professor. We don't know the reason why he's meeting with this professor. We don't know anything. So when people talk about, so like one thing I want to like just discuss early on is that people automatically assume that Jelani did something to himself due to stress from school. Sure. So let's just have the conversation that Jelani has taken three years break from school. And Jelani is actually on his early weeks of being on campus. So the fact that we're explaining that stress from school could cause this is kind of a little mute point because there's breaks. He has reprieve. He has is new. Um, and by all accounts, we cannot assume his mental state either way. So I do not want to assume his mental state going into a new school year of being social. Because honestly, when I first started a new school year, I it's kind of like this above and beyond feeling of elation and excitement, nerves, yes, but not where my mental would go so far as to suicide or hurt, harming myself to because of these feelings of stress. Because that is a really huge jump, unless Jelani had been showing signs that he was um, depressed or feeling or having ideation or had um, signs of it in the past. Like, I just would not assume that by his, this timeline I, at all. No, because we both completed master's programs. And I remember, like you said, the first, if we're talking about the first three weeks that he was in school, you're excited. You're like, okay, I'm learning something new. I'm in a different level in my education. So yeah, you might be like a little anxious, like anticipating how the school semester is going to go. But unless 
like you said, as a mental health professional, unless you've been showing signs or unless he's had like some serious depression that nobody noticed for a while, the likelihood of him harming himself is, is kind of slim, right. especially with everything he had going for himself. It seemed like he was preparing for a future and not about to end it. Right. I, 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 yeah, I just don't see it. Like, I mean, of course, so like school I went to my last extra year of at school, a young man did, um, kill himself by oh, jumping wow. off of the building. However, it had been known that he was feeling depressed prior mm. to starting school, that there had been some depression um, lingering prior to, but nothing was done and he had not interacted with mental health services at this time. So yes, when we're talking about somebody having these ideations, you have to look at the history. Like had there been a kind of isolation period, had there been behavioral changes that had happened, but Jelani was doing his routine. Even when we're talking about him leaving campus, that yes, it's strange. However, people do that. That's something that as people, if something comes up, we're just going to do. I am not going to say that this is somebody that's just like, oh, I'm just so stressed and I'm just going to go do this thing because yeah. he had a plan for the rest of his day and he was going to do that. Then think something happened in the middle of that and then he went to the dispensary. Um, we don't get to see like his car. His car is parked a little further from CCTV. Um, but we, we see, like, we know that he gets into his car because his car is found. And when his car is found, it's found with his pants inside of it, but no other effects and his license plate is never found to this day. His license plate has never been found. So the pants that he was wearing to see the professor or the shorts that he had on while he was in the dispensary was in the car. The shorts he had on while he was in the dispensary were in the car. And also, actually, his other things were scattered other places. So, like, so when we're talking about um, getting into campus, as we know, modern students, we have um, cards that we use to get into buildings because you just can't walk into buildings as not a student. His wallet um, are not in the car. So those are actually found a few miles away from the car um, in various locations. And at this time, this, this is not found by police. These are found by two um, young women um, that found this uh, just scattered about. Um, his lanyard and everything was found. Um, but Jelani at this point had not been found. All right. Mm -hmm. so, but all right. So in our timeline, we have this going on. Um, and we are now I'm guessing police are now thinking that something could be wrong. So DNA is taken from his siblings and his mother to test just in case, because uh, police are known to do this just in case they find um, DNA of him somewhere like blood or something. They can test that um, and things of that nature. And uh, if a body is found, they can test against the body. Um, so, all right, so then, uh, few miles from the uh, where his car is found at a um, river 
We find a body is found on September 4th, a mile or so away from the car. And I would like this to be noted that when we're thinking about this watering hole that he is found in river, that we have to think of this as a big body of water. And initially when this is first talked about, I can say that it's made it seem as though this body was found in almost like a pond. I was thinking like a creek. Right, like <laughs> a creek, something small, little light. I saw images of this water, uh, of where the um, where this body is found, and there's a bridge above it, and it's a large body of water, like it's huge, and so I'm just like, okay, this is this is water, and you know how water goes, sun. This is summertime. August is hot. And as we know, Illinois is not the hottest place, but it is summertime. Jelani is found in shorts and a t-shirt at some point. And then when he's seeing his professor, he only has on a button-up shirt and pants. He doesn't have on like a blazer or anything. So it's still hot in Illinois at this point. So, um, so, but at this time when the body is found, the family is not necessarily notified that a body had been found. Um, and when it was known to the public, and this is where we're going to talk about constantly throughout this podcast of the importance of social media and the importance of the community in getting involved and putting pressure because this body is found and DNA was taken from the family, but we, we are not seeing any DNA being tested against this body, but Sadly, um, we do find out on September 24th that this, from the LaSalle County Coroner Office that announces that this is Jelani Day's body. Um, this was actually found via dental records as because of um, exposure and things of that nature that his um, body had decomposed at this point. Um, so much so that he is not like, it was no way to test his DNA, I'm guessing. And they had to use dental records. So um, not to cut you off, I do want to add that the, because his body you said was found in the Illinois River, the Illinois River is approximately 273 miles long. So it is not right. a small body of water. Mm -hmm. um, and as far as any DNA evidence, uh, it is said that literally thousands of pollutants find their way into Illinois rivers. There are chemicals, pesticides, fertilizers, nutrients, metals, all those sort of things. So his body is fighting up against all of those types of things in that right. river. Right. And if we're also thinking about the sun and like in the summertime, we know that the sun is up longer hours than in the winter. Like, you know, daylight savings, we all experience it. And if the river like that we know of is the Schuylkill River. Mm -hmm. And the Schuylkill River has flooded this past year from all the rain and things, climate change folks, you know, recycle. Um, and we are seeing that the pollute, like th just the nastiness that is in water and and animals. We, we, we have to talk about the birds, the 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 fish that could possibly be in water that survive those nasty waters. I don't know which fish are surviving, but fish survive. Um, they're in the Schuylkill. In that the is, Schuylkill. I've seen people fishing in the Schuylkill and um, they usually put the fish back, yeah. but I'm pretty sure yeah, there are some edible. people don't. Mm -mm. Right. I wouldn't eat them. 
right would not eat them would not recommend highly highly nasty um so at this time like when we're seeing Jelani's body like he is only found with his with his uh shirt on but he also has um a sweatshirt that's tied around his waist um I believe that the sweatshirt is seen on on CCTV when he's in the um camera so this sweatshirt is still on him but like we said his pants were found in the car so yeah so that is one of the other strange things I noted is that his pants are just gone um and he's at this water that is a mile away meaning that he would have had to now be on foot walking to the water um it's not known if other footprints are found but however if we're being honest, this is a wooded area. So local, locals in the Peru um, County are saying this is a pretty, um, only locals know about it. This is not something that if you're not from here, you wouldn't know. And as Jelani's mom has said that he's never been to Peru, Illinois. That is not a place he has gone to. Uh, and like I said, he just started this school. So unless he is scoping out the area prior to, he would not have the background and he is from Danesville, Illinois, um, which is some miles from Bloomington, but it's not near Peru. So yeah, so we're kind of just getting to the point that he's not from here. He's not familiar with this area. He doesn't know anyone in Peru, Illinois. So the question is, is why is Jelani here? Um, and a lot of those questions kind of can be asked, answered through the phone, which is not found in his car where his wallet and lanyard were found or on him so up at this point in september 24th we do not have a cell phone to be noted to be noted so at this time jelani's mom is making the rounds like getting the uh voice out there and we are the reason why we hear about um jelani's case in the way we do um, is because at the same time in August, we are dealing with a the case of Gary Petito, um, who sadly was uh, killed by her fiance um, during a road trip that they were taking. And we saw her face plastered among every news channel, every hour on the hour, we are seeing Gary Petito here, there, and everywhere. And of course, we can understand that in this case, you have a person who is missing the fiance is home with his family, but this girl has not been found and the police have not arrested them. So that is the strangeness and of course why people gravitate to this case. But we cannot talk about the fact that Jelani in his case is you only have a young man that is missing for one day and his mother is already reporting him missing, meaning that this is abnormal to his structure. Um, and also he's just starting school. He is, he has just this promising future. And just like Gabby, like they're around the same age. It's really seeming like this is just a case of sadly missing white women syndrome. Mm -hmm. we, have a, we, have a, we have and it's we don't mean to laugh in a way that's funny but it's just like it's tried and true that we see this this is throughout history we see that um cases of white women are pushed to the front audience and while missing and 
missing and murdered people of color, black and people of color are kind of put in the background. So that is something we can't, we're not saying that like in any way, and I don't want you to get this wrong folks because people like the mince word, the Gabriel's case did not need any media coverage because it did because we, you needed to put pressure. But as we know that due to the fact that even with all the media coverage, her case still was mishandled. Her case still was, um, justice still was not given to the family uh, because the alleged uh, suspect um, had unalived himself um, weeks after the incident. So also with the Gary PC case, like uh, Jelani's mom, Ms. Bolden Day, brings up the fact that her, her family waited two weeks um, to report her missing and she only waited one day and her case still did not have even in the local area the spotlight that Gabby Pacito case had um, and yes there are quite differences that we're seeing with Gabby Pacito she was backpacking so we're going to see normally that she might not have cell phone service and things like that but we have a young man that speaks to his family every day you got to look at pattern you got to look at just life in general you have a young man that's just starting school he is supposed to be meeting professors things are happening and in his life that are just moving fast that he is expected to be at places he is looked for he is going to be missed so the fact of the matter is when you have local local stations not airing what is going on with your child you cannot help but say why not my child? What is so different? Why does his life not matter when talking about cases? And missing white women syndrome definitely points to what we see this trend is, is that when you're young, blonde hair, blue eyed, and you're kind of, you're kind of given the benefit of the doubt. The way you're looked at is of this innocent nature, this docile nature, that how could this happen to you? And you're always given this idea that you are the perfect victim, that you are the victim that people should care about, that you are the victim that people should look at and be like, oh my God, even though you even yourself may not even align with this person of looking like them, but you are instantly just give sympathy to this person because you see them as fragile and needing of protection and needing to be found. I, uh, I do want to speak to the missing white women syndrome because I was reading an article uh, from CNN and I do want to take the time to quote, his name is Zach Summers. He's a criminologist. Uh, he did a study with Northwestern University in I believe 2016. Hey, hey. Um, and he mentioned uh, how systemic racism and bias play a role in missing white women syndrome. And he is quoted to say, as a culture, we are readily willing to accept stories about white folks as victims, as something we should care about. Sorry, you broke up. Oh, did I? Should I repeat it? Yeah. No, yeah, repeat it one more time. Uh, he is quoted to say, as a culture, we are readily willing to accept stories about white folks as victims, as something we should care about. When we see a white person who has gone missing, we say, that could be my daughter, neighbor, or cousin, or friend. And they identify with that person and are more likely to read the story than we would if it were a person of color. Um, I do wanna say that I also read an article 
uh, Jelani's mother said, Gabby Petito didn't deserve less. Jelani just deserved more. And I feel like that's kind of the theme of what we are talking about. Like others don't deserve less. They still deserve media coverage if no matter if you're a person of color or not. Um, but due to the racial disparities, people of color deserve more. We deserve more media attention. We deserve more effort by the police, FBI, whomever. So I did just want to say that because uh, we will be talking about that shortly. Yeah, because that's like something that I think is so prevalent in that like people will say as a backup, like, oh, were you saying that Gabby just didn't deserve the media coverage? Like, no, like I mentioned that she, that case was poorly done. And even when you are a missing white woman, just because like missing white women syndrome exists, like that is definitely a media push. However, now things with the mishandling of the case are going to be looked at differently. So Jelani's case, we are saying that he was not looked at by the police well enough. And neither was Gabby. But because Gabby had more eyes on it, and because people show her, are able to sympathize with her because of the media coverage she got, she will have justice in some part of her case. Like currently right now, um, Gabby's family is suing um, the Florida Police Department where her boyfriend um, was at, um, that there is being looked at to like the mishandling of the case. Uh, most likely that will probably sell out of court. Usually those type of cases do sell out of court. They're an undisclosed number um, because, you know, they don't want people to get into the effect, the uh, act of suing the police department, but we will find out that it will be settled out of court. Um, and most likely that will be solved. But People like Jelani Day and, you know, we see individuals constantly just going unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, it leaves room for the unimaginable because what if we had eyes on these cases earlier? We could have more, more resources pushed out in these communities, like even smaller towns, like you have poor areas in and even next to neighboring major cities. Like we have Philadelphia, for example, and neighboring areas are Chester. Chester is one of the poorest areas in Pennsylvania and or in pretty much nearing Philadelphia. And it doesn't, it has over-policing, but not enough media coverage when situations happen. So you see those type of things saying like, well, we don't have enough resources. Well, they have the resources for things that, they want to have resources for. All right. So, and during this time, we want to say that like from the August to September 24th, that during this time, you know, you have the family speaking out, you have people bringing up theories and um, what is going on. The coroner's office is coming, the LaSalle coroner's office is coming under a lot of heat at this time because they are not taking um, Miss Bolden days, according to her, any seriously at all. Even while reporting, also from the police department, reporting him missing, Miss um, Bolden day said that, and I'm quoting here, um, I'm not, well, I'm paraphrasing here, that she felt that she was being pushed in a certain direction to say that Jelani was suicidal 
or potentially could harm himself because they would put more eyes on this on what was going on. Uh, the uh, the um, Bloomington Police Department denies this claim, however, saying that they felt that Jelani's case was priority because of other things of him going missing quickly and things like that. But I would like to just bring up the fact that when you are suicidal, that does kind of and a mental mental health suicidal thoughts, mental health history diagnosis can make break harm benefit cases. It just all depends mm -hmm. um, because <laughs> when you are suicidal, I don't know. I, I don't. We are going to find this out throughout doing this podcast why certain things are, but I don't know why that is in a heartfelt moment because you would just think. These people deserve to be found because they have families that care about them. They are people, they're human beings that matter to someone and they matter in, in the crux of it and they should not just be missing people. Um, so, but mental health can make a break because, and runaways and things like that play a role in how police feel about how much time they allocate towards a case. Um, and that is just beyond being a person of color, just having the demographic of mental health um, concerns can potentially um, mess up you getting eyes on your case fully the way you want. Um, we definitely see that uh, with Jelani Bay's case where saying like, hey, he's not suicidal, but I had to say it. And then she keeps having to remind people of that because she knew the minute she said that, that they were going to look at it a certain way and the police were potentially, and the news were potentially going to push it a certain narrative. So we just have to be clear about that. That Jelani, from his family's standpoint, is not suicidal by any means and had no reason to harm himself. And we just want to keep prefacing that. I want to also change up. Jelani's birthday is June 15th, 1996. I know I probably said July because it's, his name is Jelani and I want to say July. July is so bad. So bad. Um, also, we kind of are getting at this point where theories, of course, once his body are found about organs being missing from Jelani. Um, and actually it is told to her by the second pathologist that they get to um, about the cause of death um, that basically due to the decomposition, his organs were no longer there. Um, this happens when bodies are kind of Bloating happens. I know this is kind of weird, strange saying bloating happens, heat, things like that, decomposition. So organs do disintegrate and go away. Um, so organ harvesting folks, I know you conspiracy theories with your aluminum foil hats got are ready, but no, <laughs> put them down, put them down. Maybe another case, but not today's case. So um, so really to stick to the facts of the case, we are seeing him in this town in Peru, Illinois, but he's not seen on any cameras. So, um, we don't technically see him entering. Um, and so there's no signs that he was in the car with anyone. We don't know if he was planning on meeting anyone. And at this point in September, we don't have a phone. So we don't have any information. And one of the things we discussed yesterday was, well, why can't they just look into it? And I have found out that Apple, because he had an iPhone 12 Pro Max, balling, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that iPhones have this thing where 
they will kind of code up your stuff so that way it's private um it is something so basically um encrypted encrypted encrypting messaging your your um text messages and things like that so if he only called individuals and then he texts and and then he went to texting they can see the call logs but text logs are a little more difficult because um it would be encrypted so uh finding the phone is um essential at this point because we want to know what's going on what's on the phone and a text message text message and getting into it um so fast forward we like i said mom and family are doing news coverage because they're trying to get his case out there they um we find out in in november that jelani's phone is found in october and this has to be the strangest thing. So his phone is not found even in the wooded area. It is found on the intersection of, from um, Bloomington. Um, so his initial place where his school is located is found there on the intersection um, by this man who basically, I guess he was lugging his um, mattress from the local Walmart and had it on top of his car, but it fell off and he had to go back and get it very dangerous folks don't do that maybe have things shipped to your house because that's very dangerous um but he is finding um he found the phone and he took it to um the local walmart and turned it in um around october 18th and johnny's mom did not find out about them having this phone until november 11th and it's told to her by bloomington police that we wanted to be sure that this was his phone before we said anything. And, and I'm just like, but then how would you be able to tell her that this is his phone? Because let me just tell you, his phone is shattered. This phone is, this man got $80 for this shattered to smithereens phone. So in what way would you be able to tell someone when who who phone this is when it's just shattered to bits like this wait a minute i have a question so the guy <laughs> randomly is lugging his mattress mm-hmm. falls off his car which is like I'm st- i have a question mark beside that falls off his car yeah i don't know about you but i've seen shattered phones in the streets if the phone was like intact then i'm going out of my way to take it somewhere to be like hey you're missing a phone i mean nowadays honestly i probably would take it home try and charge it and then try and call the so the person would be like hey i found your phone but if this phone right. is completely shattered when he finds it the only thing you can do for that phone to that point is get the sim card out of it yeah like why is he so gung-ho to i don't maybe i shouldn't say gung-ho but it, if the phone is completely destroyed like why is he turning it in right and and the way Jelani's mom is finding out about this phone is not through the police, but from a Facebook message, a social media message from an acquaintance of the man who found the phone. So the so this guy turns it into Walmart. I guess he's talking to, but how does the, the acquaintance know whose phone it is if it was completely destroyed? So what I am going to assume and this is this is in my opinion, folks, <laughs> is that they somehow get into the SIM card 
and they find out whose phone it is and then they begin to question the man who found the phone that they question him on where you exactly found this phone like so finding out like that his phone is coming here he probably told his friend like hey like uh they questioned me about this man like i found the phone i found remember i told you i found the phone a few weeks ago yeah it was that missing kid um jelani day you know when it's all on the news and that you know because people have been because you you know you want to be involved you want to have this sense but we don't know we really don't know why this is and so why he knows that Jelani's phone is found before his for Jelani's mother knows it's kind of strange to me because I feel as though the 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 chain of command should have been hey let's let Jelani's mom know and then look out just so we could keep her well informed of what's been going on because this is now two months almost two months since Jelani has been confirmed uh, as being um, killed, uh, well, as being dead at this point, because we don't know if he's being killed. This is not at this point looked into as a homicide. homicide. So this is being looked at as unknown origins because the the original pathologist from LaSalle County basically said there was no outward um, injuries or any of any kind um this is of course people are putting on their aluminum foil hats of course we had a second pathologist who also confirmed the same thing but to say they cannot rule out any um foul play so it's still a very real possibility that he could have been murdered i another thing how did the police get the phone if the guy turned it into walmart did walmart then conduct their own investigation to try and get this shattered phone back to a random person like it's not the circles aren't circling (laughs) well because when a phone is found i'm going to guess because nowadays okay folks stealing a phone is stupid anyway but (laughs) stealing a phone nowadays is stupider because if a phone is decided as being lost or or stolen once it is turned on and is attempted to be unlocked so like let's say you go, go get your phone fixed and the screen is being fixed, you have to now unlock the phone. And now once the fo- you cannot unlock the phone without the face ID of an iPhone. I don't have an iPhone team Android over here, um, but you have to do some type of face ID or, or 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 any form of opening the phone. And you can't do that to a phone that is not the original person. So I don't even understand how he was able to even turn the phone into Walmart. So I'm going to also assume that he told these people that this phone. Was probably an old shattered phone of his because there is no way that anybody is accepting any stolen goods. I would hope that Walmart, the reputable company of Walmart, is not accepting stolen property into their stores because I just wouldn't think of such things. I mean, <laughs> so oh, it has been. Hold on, I'm keeping the timer. It's been. It's been over 20 minutes, but that was the second 20 minutes that I started. Okay. It hasn't been 20 minutes. I'm going to restart it again. I'm just trying to keep a little timeline of where we are, because even if we keep recording, we can still chop it up to be right. what we want to keep. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, definitely. So 
All right, so now, now we're kind of uh, pushed forward to pretty current. We're in January right now. Um, in December, the FBI does say they are offering a $10,000 reward for anybody with any information um, uh, pertaining to this case. So now we want to, and that is pretty much where we're at. Now we want to go into our thoughts, feelings, and what if we were investigators, we would do. I like to say again, we are not any of those things. We are not investigators. We do not work for any institution. But we want to talk about this because I don't know about you, but I don't know very many people who let me speak from my professional experience because I have been in the mental health field as a therapist for going on six years now. It'll be officially six years in May. I've spoken to a lot of folks that have made suicide attempts on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And um, when they recount the story of them, like their thought process and how they went through the process, they do mention details as far as the, their items of clothing, like their means, their um, where they were in location to like their homes or their environments. And no one has ever said, and then I took my pants off Mm-hmm. and I did it like n- no one like that just doesn't make any sense now whether a person like took a bath first and they're in a robe I've never come across a person who was like I chose to take an item of clothing off or I chose to be naked and then yeah. I and then I took this bottle of pills like it, it just doesn't make any sense and and no one ever scatters I'm not going to say no one ever because obviously I don't know we don't know everyone who's ever committed suicide or attempted to commit suicide but the likelihood of them just scattering their items doesn't make any sense usually folks especially if they have families if they have um they know that loved ones will be looking for them and will eventually find them scattering your your throwing your phone out of your car window leaving little clues of your identity it doesn't make any sense that to me sounds like sounds like somebody was trying to get rid of some evidence right or it sounds like maybe he could have potentially been leaving little breadcrumbs of like mm-hmm. i want my lanyard over here so if they find me over here they can see that i was here and then i'm going to throw my phone out the window so that they can see that at one point my phone pings and i was over here mm-hmm. that makes more sense to me than i'm about to end my life right and I'm throwing all my items in random places and places that no one has ever known me to go or be seen at. It just doesn't add up for me. Definitely. Like, I just, I I can't help but think about the fact that his clothes, like, his clothes were off of him. And that just felt like somebody is saying to the, to him, take off your clothes so you're just not running away. Hmm. Yeah. So you're not just, because you're not, like, you're semi-naked. So the uncomfortability of it all, like it would be different if like, if his pants were kind of coming off and they were found under the water, but these were found in the car, like a mile away from the, from the river. So um, then the, the phone situation. So I'm going to assume, I want to look at the, the investigators in a nice light. We, that might change moving forward, but that they looked into the guy who found the phone. You mean like his background, like yeah. who he like, is, like how he found that phone? Because that because it's just it's just one plus one is always two, and this is equaling four. 
Like, I, first of all, my thought is if you're ordering a mattress, you're probably getting it delivered to your house. I don't know how many people still like go to the store and get the mattress, hook it on top of your car and then go home. But that's neither here nor there. Now that I think about it, do they sell mattresses at Walmart? Yeah. I've never. Okay. I, I have a mattress and a um a frame from Walmart. Like you went to the store and purchased it? Uh, you can. You can. They have certain ones in stock, but the others you have to order online. Okay. So the average person is not going into the Walmart. They're heavy. They're extremely heavy. But, you know, it's great that he did find the foam, but the the, the process in which the foam was found. So the foam was found, then turned into uh, Walmart on October 18th. And Walmart accepted this phone, not I hope not knowing the origins of the phone of being just found outside because he got $80 for this phone. I'm going to consider at this point that the SIM card is the only thing that could be retrieved from this phone. And then they probably were trying to get their SIM card and looking through, looking at the SIM card, they probably found that it was Jelani's phone. And that um, at some point, the person who did, who brought the phone in that gracious citizen um I hate to be like that but we always have to look at people with the side eyes a little bit Mm y'all that he felt that he um was he was told and an acquaintance potentially told allegedly told Jelani's mother that um the phone was Jelani's and that the police had it because the mom did not find out about this until November 11th and she asked the police why they didn't tell her and they said like well we, we had to see if it was really his and it's just like, well, in a month, it takes that long. But the fact of the matter is that I I personally feel that mom should have been contacted that potentially could have been his phone. And then just been like, well, we still need to confirm it, but we think we found Jelani's phone. Yeah, I think sometimes because I am an avid Law and Order Special Victims Unit watcher from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. I've watched all 365 seasons. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's like season 21 or something like that. But me who thinks that I am Olivia Benson, it just, sometimes we might think that things are speedier because we see on TV, like Liv will be like, hey, run this through this database and it takes obviously like 15 minutes <laughs> but in reality right. sometimes these things take days and weeks more months. more likely weeks and, and months yeah because um a pet like so we find out like that like it is jelani on this date but we don't get the coroner's report until october in october about the coroner's report because it does take time because they have to go through every last bit of cause of death all these things have to be noted so it's very it's time consuming and somebody has to be second checking over you even within that same office so it's not just quick and simple but what we like because of how we are it's like we like quick and easy and wrap it up and put a bow on it and then we can move on to the next thing mm-hmm. and that's not how cases go um so right now where we're at with this case is the FBI has a $10,000 reward out for any information. And as I said, what I would say at the end of this case is um, who you can contact in the, if you are from the Bloomington, um, if you are or are not from the Bloomington uh, area, here's the Bloomington Police Department's number 309-820-8888. Um, 
Our detective, Paul Jones, the lead detective, um, is 309-434-2548. And this case is one of those cases that will only be solved if you, um, the community out there, come to the table and present some information. And we will be coming back to Johnny Case as it's updated because he is not going to be ever forgotten. I would like to um, say thank you again for listening. And we appreciate you all for taking the time out of your day to listen in on us. Join us next week when we discuss Relisha Rudd, an eight-year-old African-American female last seen March 1st, 2014, after she disappeared from a Washington, D.C. homeless shelter that she lived in with her family. All right. We did it, friend. (laughs) Boom, bow. Episode one. episode, yeah.